This morning we are going to be looking at Judges chapter 7. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. The message of a sermon this morning is a bit unusual. When we think of God, we don't often put this other phrase with his name. God shows off. When we think of what it means to show off, we've certainly seen it. It's oftentimes things that we teach our children not to do. Don't make much of yourselves. Don't make others have to see you. Uh, don't put yourself in a posture where others are constantly noting you. But God often brings glory to himself in such a way that he refuses to share his glory with any other. So different from us. I can remember a time when we were flying. We always got very cheap tickets when we flew, and so this was one of those occasions. And when you did so, if you got them at the right price, you always had a layover somewhere. And we were laid over in some concourse. I can remember it was a very subordinate concourse, like 109D, way down some hallway and very, very small. But you could tell from the crowd that was surrounding at that particular area that it was a flight that was packed to the gills, in fact, way bigger than the area. So you had a limited numbers of seats, Maximum number of people, and it was around a holiday time. So the tension was there. The space was there. People kind of like their personal space when they fly anyway. And then having more bodies and everyone squeezing for seats became uh, a bit of an issue. And as we were waiting, there was a young boy who decided that his job was to entertain. And his entertaining wasn't really funny. It was actually just acting up over and over and over in a way that you would say to yourself, would someone please intervene? And his parents seemed to be utterly oblivious to the fact that he was just aggravating everyone. And as I watched this event take place for an extended period of time, I kept thinking to myself, oh, much, how much more pleasant would this waiting time be if we didn't have just one person here who was utterly showing off? Now, we know how bad that is in terms of our experience, but when we think about God making much of himself, it's utterly other. Because when God glorifies himself, we are the beneficiaries. Uh, God makes much of himself because he is the highest good. And it is most right and holy for him to glorify himself. For when he glorifies himself, we partake of that which is most wonderful. And in so doing, our hearts are filled as we see him magnify himself. And so this morning, I am going to exult in God's showing off. And this text certainly does this as we come to the text in the book of Joshua. Actually, chapter 6 sets up the context. And so if you're there in Joshua, we're going to begin at chapter 6. What we're going to note here, first of all, is the unique way that God whittles down Gideon's army. And this context certainly 
sets it up. So let's just take a look at the first six verses of chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, those of you who know the book of Judges know this cyclical pattern in Judges. It is very common. Uh, the people would come under the oppression of a nation. And eventually, they would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would raise up a deliverer, a judge of some kind. And normally, there would be a period of peace. And as with us... They would forget the Lord in the time of peace and revert back to the same sins. And that cycle works its way over and over through the book. This is what's happening in the days of Gideon. In this particular time, Gideon is called by the Lord to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Uh, one of the things you'll see in the book of Judges is that often the judges are not role models for us. Uh, this was a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And Gideon is no exception. In fact, he would just be the rule. Uh, what we see here often, even as the book progresses, as the judges become a little bit less and less ideal. Uh, in fact, after Gideon, you have another son, Abimelech. And Abimelech is an abysmal uh, Jephthah is next. And then you get into the great moral life of Samson. Uh, as you can tell, the book kind of has this decline, and it's showing the effect of sin and God's people not responding to God, even though he shows up and mercifully reveals himself in salvation over and over. They continue in this pattern, and there's a declining nature, and that's where we are even here in this point. Gideon, when God comes to him, is hesitant God confirms, uh, Gideon actually takes action and gets an army together to come, puts a call out for people to show, and then Gideon again tests the Lord with the fleece. Uh, so some people take that as do that kind of a thing. You have to read it in the context and say, Gideon is testing the Lord twice after it even personally already appeared to him and told him what to do. Uh, this, this is wavering faith at best. Uh, coming into the time, Gideon now has at least 32,000 men gathered. So that's kind of where we're settled at chapter 7. So as we come to the first eight verses, that's the setting. Let's go into chapter 7 and read the context here. And then we'll see God whittle down the army. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. 
The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Let's just stop right there in the text. When I think of whittling down a stick, I'm often amazed at people who can do things with just a piece of wood, and after a, a point of time, it's a piece of artistry. Uh, I can never see it. I look at a piece of wood, and it just looks like a nice piece of wood, but I have no idea what that can be. But there are people who have just an eye for a certain piece of wood, and they see it, and when they start on it, they have something in mind but to get there, pieces just have to come off all around. At the beginning, sometimes it's just lar large chunks, big pieces. And then eventually it gets into this very fine work that lasts sometimes for months, sometimes even years. But boy, when it's done, this is this glorious piece that you just say, what a gift, what beauty. It's amazing to watch especially afterwards, and say, I can't believe that from a mere piece of wood, we see this. Uh, God's a good whittler. He's a good whittler. And he often does the same pattern we see here in this scripture in our own lives. Gideon's army that he amassed, sending out the word, 32,000 people. And the first question is simply, if you're scared, go home. That's a 22,000-person loss. It might feel like you did last month if you sold the stock market through January. felt like that wasn't going to hit any bottom there for a while. This is a big loss. That's a 70% loss or so. It's in that range in the, in the just going home afraid category. And the Lord said, you still have too many. So he separates them by the lappers and non-lappers. What a unique way of God. 
Dale Ralph Davis's commentary is really funny at this point. He talks about how that often we mishandle biblical narrative by making non-issues issues to try to teach. This is one such occasion because sometimes people will turn the lapping into some kind of moral superiority. You know, they kept their eye on things. They didn't, they didn't kneel down at their head like everyone else. No, they, they were looking around. So he the 300 best. Well, I don't know. I, I think that's actually very contrary to the central meaning of the whole story. Because God is weakening them. 9,700 more go home. I think the 300 might have looked more like those people from uh, the Benchwarmers movie. Uh, if we wanted to get a real perspective here, it's probably not the highest and mightiest because that's not what God's doing. He's leaving them weak, small. You see, even with 32,000, the army of the Midianites looked like locusts on the land. They wouldn't even have had great numbers with the original army. The decimation down to 10 would have been significant, but down to the 300, uh, by the way, I'm not real good at numbers, but that's 1% of his original army. God's a good whittler. God takes the army down by choosing who he pleases to make the situation as he wants so that he alone may stand in the spotlight. He is going to show off his power. He is, as it were, the Bible language. He's going to show his right arm. Uh, you know, little boys like to show their right arm a lot. I remember being a little kid and we'd always be standing where you'd flex up your muscles. You'd feel the other guy's arm and you'd flex your arm and feel their arm. It was always a thing to, to show your right arm. But listen, when God shows his right arm, this is God's power. This, this is bringing glory and all to God because it makes much of him. And to show his arm, their arm must be shortened. You see, they cannot boast because God is not allowing it to be so. He is setting the stage in such a way that there'll be one person in the story who will be glorified, and it's not going to be Gideon. And the lappers are not going to be the heroes. Notice the second part that shows up here in the text. God graciously reassures Gideon. I think this is a little jewel in this text. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived 
just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Uh, God is so merciful to us. Notice this personal reassurance from God. If you're afraid, go down. So he takes his servant down and ironically, perchance, at that very moment, a man is sharing a dream that he had. It almost appears as if someone's gone before him. Isn't it glorious, the timing of God? Trembling Gideon needing reassurance. And as he comes to the tent, at that very moment, someone is saying, I had a dream. And the dream is about a barley loaf bringing destruction to the tent of Midian. And the identification, this has to be Gideon. And the Lord is bringing us destruction. Can you imagine as he overhears the conversation, the confirmation in his heart? God has already been here. God is working in the camp before we ever come down to do anything. God is at work. Notice when he heard, he worshiped. You know, God is always working in our lives. Always. Now, there are occasions in which God lets us in on what he's doing. He pulls back the shades, as it were, and we get to look in and have one of those little aha moments where we say, Huda thunkat. God was doing this so that this might happen. I can recall in my own life a period in which I was testing doors and checking and trying to see direction from the Lord. And for some reason, nothing, nothing, nothing. It was, an, it was the oddest experience. Uh, I was basically on the property there where my parents lived but had no sense. It seemed like, Lord, you're just not, you're just not giving any clarity here at all. And during that same season, I, we found out that my mother had stage four cancer. And then I saw, Lord, you put me there. You had me waiting there for that exact thing. It was one of those moments where you say, Lord, I, I've been all over the, the nation ministering without, with all kinds of freedom. And in this period, you just restricted everything and sat me down. 
And it was for this very moment. When that happened, I saw it as clear as a bell. That's nice when that happens, but listen, often we walk in the dark. It's foggy. We can't see the hand of God in our lives. We wonder, what might God be doing? But the great assurance of Scripture is this. His providential hand in our life never ceases moving. He is the God who not only creates but sustains all that he has made. And he is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you can believe that even when you can't say it. You can know it with confidence even when the fog is so thick you can't see your hand in front of your face. Even when you can't feel the joy, joy, joy down in your You see, the joy in this story is this. God allowed a special providence just to bolster Gideon. What kindness. But I want to encourage you, saints, that same God is at work when you can't see him. We need to trust him even when we can't see his hand at work because God is always at work bringing about glory to his name and for our good. These assurances out of providence actually just help us to understand the things God has clearly promised because providences are the way in which God at times opens the window and shows us, here's my hand. When we don't see it another time, you better not doubt it's there. It's still there. God is still working. He didn't forget your name. He still knows your address. Aren't you glad? What comforting assurance from stories like this to help us realize God was at work in whittling down until Gideon was utterly weak and fearful and still comforts his trembling leader to let him know, I am in this thing. Let me just get right in your life. He's in this thing. If you're in a dark period, he's in this thing. He is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When it's dark, when the shadow is deep, God's certain hand that has been with us in the light is with us in the dark. He is still leading the paths of our lives. He is still moving the affairs of our days. And when we tremble, God speaks. Sometimes it's the confirming word of God that just comes back to us out of Scripture. Other times it's special providence of God that confirms the words of Scripture. But it's God ordering. It's God working. It's God letting us know. And in this circumstance, I think it's delightful that even in Gideon's quivering unbelief, God kneels down, as it were, to let him know, I'm here. I've got this. Our Jesus has gone before us. He confirms the certainty of his promises. 
by passing through death and ascending to the right hand of the Father. His presence is there as an intercession for you that says, I am for you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one is able to pluck them out of my hand. See, the great assurances of our gospel give us bedrock under our feet that when all around our soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know, you want to get that in you when you can think right. You want to get that in you when you feel pretty good. For when the day comes and your health wanes and your mind is struggling, you want to know where that bedrock is. You want to know the assurance, I have walked with him in the light. I can walk with him in the dark because bedrock is under my feet. It's good to get to know the living God for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lastly, let's just take a look at the punchline of this story. God is going to show off, and he's even going to use some weak military methods in doing so. Verse 16 through the first part of verse 22. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands, the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, while each man held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Notice verse 21. While each man held his position around the camp. I remember talking with my wife once about this text, and we had a good chuckle with each other. You imagine getting back after this battle. Boy, I heard you were there when the Midianites finally got beat. How was it? Well, we, we took jars. 
Oh, tell us more. How was it? Did you get a slice? Well, we, we, had, uh, we had torches. Oh, I bet you burned the place. Well, we, and, um, we, uh, we had horns. Yeah. You see, you can't boast in jar smashing and horn blowing. You can't boast in standing under the torchlight because the battle truly does belong to the Lord. You see, this weakness was to show his strength so that he would be magnified. You see, Gideon, you have too many because Israel will boast in their own strength. So God takes out that knife and starts whittling away so that not only is the number small, but the methodology Listen, right now on the border of Ukraine, if people were standing there with jars and torches and horns, it wouldn't deter anybody. This is a silly military method. But God is in it. You see, this is oftentimes where we realize sometimes the moralisms of the way we handle narrative stories just don't do it. There's nothing about the lappers that makes them superior, nor is the boy who brought Jesus the five loaves and the two bread the point of the story. Well, I've seen literature that will actually say, you should give Jesus your little so that he can do things. But you should be generous. This story teaches you to be generous. Well, what about the Son of God? What about Him feeding 5,000 plus simply by thanking God and distributing? Isn't the glory to be to Christ? But see, we so want to turn moral lessons, we miss the central figure of all, which is this. You can forget Gideon's name, but you'd better know the Lord. You'd better bow before Almighty God. And in the fullness of time, he has sent his son. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. You see, the, the weak military methods here simply give glory to another. It shows that they, simply by standing, allowed God to throw the armies into confusion and fight the battle against themselves. You see, this irony in the story is at the beginning you're told that they would come through and devour like locusts as they came. And when they left, they would leave nothing. And God, when he shows his arm, turns their swords on themselves. Well, unless you miss that, you should chuckle a bit. Because there's no God like our God. 
The salvation that he brings can't be compared to another army because he is almighty God. Now, Christians, let me bring this right into your backyard. Jesus Christ has died for us and is risen from the dead. He has given us everlasting life. And in him is assurances beyond anything Gideon received. We will pass through death into the presence of the living God, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I desire to depart, Paul said, and be with Christ, which is better by far. Uh, listen, that's a wonderful assurance when death has been conquered and swallowed up by Jesus Christ. And the greater assurance even still is this, one day new heavens, new earth. Glorified, resurrected body like unto his glorious body. And he shall reign forever and ever. Here's what we can learn from Gideon's story. On that day, we aren't going to be there grabbing the microphone on the side saying, Hey, hey, make much of me. Uh, there's one song I despise in early Christendom, this recent days. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. No. No. Thank the Lord. If any good thing has come through any of us, it's the Lord. What we should be doing is acknowledging Him more and us less. And sometimes in God's good providence, he has to break us so that his power might be shown. So that we will drop the mic freely and say, Lord, stand center stage. And I with the angels will bow with my face to the ground and say, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. Oh, may God give us in this day grace to make much of Him so that He may be magnified and that we may enjoy him forever.